So we started this uh, series last week um, called At the Movies and kind of spending the summer, uh, the month of Ju- uh, July here and a little bit into August of just looking at different movies. We know that we live in a culture where movies are kind of, a, they're a language. They're, they're part of our vernacular, they're part of how we do that. We, we learn a lot of themes, we see themes in Scripture that are highlighted by different movies. And we wanted to kind of pick out some different things and draw some conclusions, point us back to the Scriptures to kind of give us some hope and help us take some next steps and how to cement this into our life and into our living. And tonight's movie, uh, we're going to show you a little bit longer clip from it because it's, it's a movie maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't. You at least know the story a little bit. It revolves around baseball. And it's about Jackie Robinson. It's the movie 42. And if you don't know much about Jackie Robinson, uh, he came onto the scene in 1945, 1946. 1946, uh, there were 400 baseball players in 16 teams in Major League Baseball. All 400 were white. Until 1946. On an opening day, that number dropped to 399. And Jackie Robinson is on the scene. Now, you can imagine, 1945, African Americans had helped end the war as a part of our military service. People had returned home, but they had returned home to a lot of racism uh, and a lot of turmoil that were all prevalent, we understand, of in history. Uh, I don't have to point out the fact that just a couple weeks ago, we saw it rear its ugly head again, didn't we? As we look at Charleston, we look at this idea of how can racism still be around? How in the world can that still be in the year 2015? You ever ask yourself that? I ask myself that. How can that still be around? And the truth is that things still exist. There's still some roots in it. It's not maybe as prevalent as it was, as you're going to see in this movie clip, as you're going to see if you watch this movie and you understand. But there's some things that I think in here that speak about reconciliation that I want us to look at and to dive into tonight as the church. Now, some of you may be here and you're welcome. Uh, maybe you're coming back into church for the very first time, and I'm so glad you're here. We, we want to be a church where hopefully you can find some friends and you can develop some friendships and relationships here and you can journey through life. And so tonight it starts off maybe a little bit more serious because you're going to see this clip and, and there may be some things that stir within you that stir within me when I watch it. And uh, obviously we've dropped out a few language things here, but this is reality. And I want you to see it. And then I want us to discuss how does the church respond and how does the church move forward this, uh, this theme of reconciliation that we see throughout the scriptures. Now, we are also having a little bit of fun in the sense that we're giving away movie prizes, right? So last week, we gave away a movie gift card to Roadhouse. This week, we're going to give away a bunch of different candy things and Van Dango gift card. I picked someone from this side last week, so I'm going this side this week, okay? And because this is a baseball movie, I figured, how many of you have been to a baseball game? Anyone ever caught a foul ball before? Tonight might be your opportunity, even though you're not at a baseball game. And so what I need is for this side to stand up and get into a clump. I'm going to throw this ball. Now, there is a chance someone could get hurt. I am now telling you, do not sue me, okay? I am letting you know that there is a possibility that your neighbor might miss. Is that how it works? Am I selling it good enough? This side's like all bummed. Aren't you guys bummed? 
It's, I wish I brought two. No, just kidding. Okay. So, it's baseball. There's a, there's a high pop fly into the stands. When you bring this to me afterwards, I will give you your prize. You ready? This side's just getting more exercise. So you guys are really just healthier right now. Just think about that. Okay. So, uh, you ready? No, no. Okay, here we go. I don't know if I should go all the way back. That seems really dangerous. There's people sitting down. I don't want to hit you. I do see you. I see you. I don't want to hit you. Okay, you ready? Let's go over this way. Oh, it's rolling. It's rolling. Yes. The floor is sloped. That's always the case at the baseball game. It's like one guy gets his hand on it, but he doesn't catch it, right? And it slopes and it goes, and then someone takes that and gives it to a kid. Well, the scene you're going to see uh, here is um, Branch Rickey is the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Jackie Robinson is number 42. Uh, his number's been retired, and every, every season there's a Jackie Robinson day. Branch Rickey was the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, who in 1946 took a stand. And he and Jackie Robinson took a stand against the color line that was in the Major League Baseball. And it caused a few ripples, didn't it? If you know about the story, it was just the beginning. But their stance against that and their perseverance through it changed baseball and it changed history. How many of you have seen that movie? Quite a few of you. If you haven't, uh, do yourself a favor. And it's a good movie. It's PG-13. It's got, obviously, several racial slurs in it because of the time and what was going on. But it's pretty powerful to watch. And I think as the church, when it comes to this idea of, of facing judgment, facing racism, facing the different things that are kind of all morphed around that, that are attached to that, and the roots of that, I wanted us to look into a, a passage of Scripture. So if you have your Bible, you can go to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll get there in a minute. But I want us to look at what the Scriptures say and what they teach about reconciliation and the call of the church in our day and age. The reality of some of this still prevalent and how the church is to respond. And I think some of the stances that we need to take as a church are simply this. I, I wrote these things. The Gospel is good news for all people. It is available to any and all who admit their need for a Savior. There is no, um, there's no segregation when it comes to the Gospel. It's for all people. The Gospel is the hope of Jesus that summons people. It doesn't separate people. And the Gospel is always summoning people home. Ultimately, the ground at the cross of Jesus is level. There are no barriers, there are no walls, there, are, there is nothing that separates people at the foot of the cross. It's the realization that we all come humbly to that moment when we realize that we need a Savior. The gospel of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of life with God is good news for everybody. And as the church... We need to champion that. The creator of the heavens and the earth is doing his greatest work in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, period. Of bringing people home and bringing people back into life with him. I want you to think about the biggest crowd you've ever been in. 
for some of you, maybe it is a baseball stadium. Maybe it's a sporting event that you've been to. But how many of you have been in a crowd that's bigger than 50,000? Okay? You've been in a crowd that's maybe bigger than even 100,000 or so. For some of you, you've had that opportunity. I want you to think of the biggest crowd you can think of. And then I want to give us just a snapshot at what heaven is going to be like. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, here's what it says. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, bigger than any stadium you've ever been in. From every nation, every tribe, every people in language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they cried, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A snapshot of heaven to be. And who's there? Not a trick question. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. The gospel, I believe, sometimes gets a bad rap because sometimes media and other people want to portray it as limiting, of saying it's narrow-minded. The truth is, the gospel is the most inclusive news on the planet. Period. There is no argument about it. And heaven's description here in Revelation shows that to be reality. That the gospel is inclusive and it's meant for every people, every tongue, every nation, every tribe. And as a church, we want to represent that. Now, how do you then go about doing that? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit. How do you begin to, to kind of break down walls and build up Relationships. How do you go about doing that as a church? I think as a church, um, it starts with the idea of saying, hey, we've got to understand that the gospel is for everybody. And we have to start with us to begin to eradicate any roots of racism, even within me, within you. That it starts with us as people who have been saved by Christ to understand that racism has roots. And if I don't pull out all the roots then uh, I'm part of the problem. Or you're part of the problem. And that we have to take a stance on that. We have to understand what judging is and what judging does to people. Now, uh, there's a lot of talk, especially in our last couple of weeks here, about judging and what does the Bible have to say about judging. So let me briefly touch on it. It's way too much to cover here, but I want to look at this idea. Some people want to say, well, Jesus said, don't ever judge. Okay, well, that's not totally what Jesus said. So let me just kind of quote what Jesus said. You can read this in Matthew chapter 7. I'm only quoting the first part of it. Jesus said, do not judge. He didn't say do not judge, period. He said do not judge, comma. Here's the next words. Or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then he goes on, he tells the story about the speck in the eye and the plank in the other eye, right? And he kind of has the story. So Jesus has a lot to say about judgment in just this little section in Matthew chapter 7, part of the Sermon on the Mount. When judging goes wrong, and I think where the, some of the, the roots of racism begin to grow is when I begin to judge somebody. Uh, as simple I, I wrote it as this, like Andy Stanley's the one that quoted this. When I size someone up and I write them off, or when I size someone up and I walk away. That's judging in a wrong way. 
because love forbids me from sizing someone up and writing them off or sizing someone up and walking away because love commands me to walk with. Love also commands me to take a look at myself. That's what Jesus is getting to with the speck and the plank. And as I take a look at myself, love also allows me the privilege to speak into someone else's life and to also allow my life to be open to be spoken into. That's what love does. It doesn't size someone up and write them off. It doesn't size someone up and, and walk away from them. Love says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with you. And I'm here with you. I'm beside you. And I may speak into your life, but you can speak into my life. And we actually need that challenge one to another to become everything God's called us to be. So, a few words on judging. Um, from what the Bible has to say about that. Love calls me to love others and to walk with them. But it calls me to begin to break down walls of separation. Is what we see. That's what this movie is all about. This, the color line is the separation. But the movie is all about the breaking down of that. And the church has a calling upon it to live as an entity, to live as individuals, to live as a community that begins to break down walls and to build up relationships. Because the gospel is a gospel and a message of good news for everybody, for all people. And to begin to put that on display. So in Ephesians chapter 2, if you're there, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, a pretty predominant church, pretty predominant city um, that's in the day. It's a major trade route. Uh, Lots of things. There would have been lots of ethnicity and it would have been lots of different false religions that would have been a part of that region, would have been a part of that uh, scenario, that understanding. And Paul's writing some words about some changes that the gospel does. And here's how he starts. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions of sins, in which you used to live. You used to follow these ways. You were dead in them. It wasn't like you were just kind of wounded. Dead means dead, okay? You were dead in these things. But God made you alive with Christ. That even when you were dead in your transgressions, it's by grace that you've been saved. Some of the most beautiful language about grace and the rescuing nature of Jesus is right here in Ephesians chapter 2. As God raised him up, uh, raised you up with Christ and has seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness of Jesus. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not by works so that no one can boast. It's a gift from God. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. See, if you traveled to Jerusalem and you begin to understand the, the scene of the day, if you would have gone to the temple, here's what you would have seen. The temple had, if you've ever done any study on the temple of God in Jerusalem, you realize there's sections to it. There were areas of it. There were the outer courts where anybody could go. And then there were these inner courts. And it wasn't like this giant wall that separated. We're talking like maybe a three-foot wall of separation, right? But that three-foot wall was a lot taller than you realized. Because embedded into the limestone and written by the gates that led into these different areas was some wording that said to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, you may not enter in here unless you want to die. If you go through this gate, you will be stoned, and it's not a good way. 
you'll be killed. That's what he's saying. That's what's written in Greek and in Hebrew in the limestone in these places to say Gentiles are allowed out here. The Jewish people are allowed in here. And every so often, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year and represent the Jewish people, not the Gentile people, the Jewish people. And he would ask for the forgiveness of sins. And what the Jewish people understood was that they were the favored, chosen nation of which they are. God did choose them. He chose them to put the Messiah on display and to point everyone to the Messiah. But see, what they understood in the moment but prior to Jesus was they were the chosen ones. They, those, they were the favored ones. And so do you think there was animosity between the Jewish people and the Gentiles? Read your Bible. It's all over. There's a lot of animosity, a lot of enmity between the two. So much so that for Jews sometimes traveling as they came back to Jerusalem, they would literally stop at the border and shake the Gentile dust off their clothes because they didn't want to contaminate their country. So much so that uh, families, if a Jewish daughter married someone who was Gentile, would have a funeral. They were writing her off. No longer part of our tribe. So you think uh, racism existed in the day? Well, yeah, we see it on display. The, an, uh, the enmity, the animosity between it, the, the strife, the struggle that's going on. And Paul knows this because this is the world Paul grew up. Remember, this is Saul. We talked about this last week. Who goes through a transformation. Saul was a racist. You have to understand that. He had grown up in generation of generation of people who thought their, their people was better than any other people on the planet. And they were therefore the chosen ones, and those others were looked down upon. But then he ran into Jesus, and Jesus began to change him. What was fascinating about the way Jesus lived was that people were drawn to him. So much so that it irritated the religious leaders because they felt like he was being contaminated. They felt like, why do people who are broken and people who are different than us hang out with you? Maybe Jesus was doing what he came to do. To put what love on display, to put God's love on display. Love doesn't size people up and write them off. Doesn't size people up and walk away. Love walks beside. Love walks with. Love breaks down barriers. And it builds up relationships. That's what love does. And he goes on. Um, you can read more of what uh, Saul struggled with as he then has this encounter with Jesus. He's saved and it begins to change his life. He goes on. He writes these incredible words. And then he kind of keeps going a little bit further about reconciliation here in verse, uh, verse 12. Um, here's what he says. Therefore, or verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, uh, and he uses the term, you were Gentiles, you were the uncircumcised group. Now, uh, if you need an anatomy lesson, we could talk about that later. Uh, but uncircumcised group, and then there was the circumcised group. That was the Jewish people, okay? And that's kind of how they had been separated, how they had known. It was part of the, the covenant with Abraham. And, and that's what's happening to him, because you were formerly not part of this. You remember that at one time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship in Israel 
foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God in this world. But now, now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What used to be, the language here is this, this, uh, the tense in Greek is this used to be the just, this is the way it was throughout history, throughout generation after generation. And then he changes the tense of the verbs here and he says, but now, one moment of history changed everything. And the moment of history is Jesus. The moment of history is Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, most importantly that now changed everything through his sacrifice of his body given for us. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, broken down the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. And in one body, he's reconciled both of them to God through the cross. He's put to death the hostility. Do you see the breaking down here? He's put to death. He, he's broken this. And in the cross, God put in motion His plan to break down the dividing walls between us and to bring people to become a gospel people. And a gospel people are a people that are united with Christ being the cornerstone, He goes on to say. The cornerstone is the one that brings two together. And you need that. That's what's the hinge point. The weight of everything is met in that, is met in Jesus. And in Him and through Him and through His life, we have now broken down the things that separate us, the broken down the things that divide us, the things that keep us at bay, that keep us at arm's length. The fascinating part of this is that's so counterculture to how we typically live. We typically live, and maybe um, you've wrestled with uh, stuff in your own life. We wouldn't call it racism, at least in our own mind. But we would call it uh, things that I'm better than. We would size people up. You do it, so do I. And it's in allowing the gospel of Jesus to change your heart to begin to chip away at those feelings, those intentions, those thoughts in your mind, to retrain you to be a person that says, I'm a gospel person. And the gospel's for everybody. And everybody is valued before Christ. And everybody matters. And I am no better and I am no less than. And the person next to me is no better and no less than. That we would be a people that puts that on display. We would be a people that says... We want to be a person like Jesus who brought peace to the hostility and the enmity that existed in the sphere of influence that we have. So what does that begin to look like? Well, I think it starts with you saying, God, I want to be a peacemaker the best I know how. In the moments and in the influence of the areas that I have, I want to be a person that begins to bring the peace of Jesus into these relationships across the diversity that I might find, across the racial ethnicity that I experience and that I'm around. I want to bring God's peace into these relationships. I want to break down the walls of separation. 
Does that mean you have to change and become like someone else? No, don't change. You're you, okay? You can't be someone else. I can't be someone else. I have to be me. Our church has to be us. The goal of this is not to say, okay, we're going to have an ethnic, uh, diverse group. I hope we do. But our church has to be us. And as we live that out, we want to be a people that begin to break down walls. That's why we have relationships with Catalina High School. It's why we have relationships. Uh, this campus here has 42 different languages that are spoken on this campus by students here. That's incredible. That's diversity, isn't it? John B. Wright, very similar. That's why we seek to serve and we seek to say, hey, the gospel's for everybody. And we're going to meet people right where they're at. Does that mean they're going to abandon everything and just fall in love with Jesus? I hope so. But I don't know. Jesus didn't come with strings attached. He just said love. Love people and meet them where they're at. That's what we see in the life of Jesus is that he did it. He begins to build up something different. He goes through. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners. Verse 19. You're no longer strangers, but you are now fellow citizens with God's people. He's speaking to the Gentile crowd in Ephesus that he would have been speaking to, as well as those who are Jewish followers of Jesus and of the way. He said, you're being built into this foundation. You're built upon. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. For through him, we both now have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. All these walls and all these things about separation are being broken down. He's building us into the city, the fellow citizens, to the family of God, to the household of God, and into this building to put on display to a watching world that diversity can really happen because people are unified around the cornerstone of Christ. And in that, and in that relationship, people can move forward. The church is to manifest God's presence here on earth. God's grace, God's power, God's love are the only things that I know that break down the walls of separation and build up relationships with God and with others. That's what we're called to put on display. The call of Christians is to be fierce about the gospel and the unity it can bring. And how it can begin to break down and build up. The church carries the proclamation of redemption and reconciliation in a world that's filled with injustice and corruption. And the church is to take a stand and say redemption and reconciliation are here to stay. And they are real. Not because we wish them fast enough, but simply because we have been reconciled. And now we are called to be reconcilers. Jesus made this possible. Maybe if I were to put a bottom line to this, I've said it a couple times. We are to break down barriers and we are to build up relationships. So what does that look like for you? What would it look like to begin to walk into your week as the church, individually, but corporately together too? You represent the church wherever you go. You represent Jesus as you live your life. So what does it look like for you to begin to break down walls of separation, to break down barriers that, that keep people apart, and begin to build up that relationship and to invest in that? Second Corinthians, here's what uh, Paul writes to that church. Talking about reconciliation, he says, um, So from now on, we regard as no one from a worldly point of view, 
We don't see him in the categories that the world puts him in. That's what Paul's saying. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus, not counting people's sins against them, and he has commissioned us, committed to us, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us in the way we live, in the way we interact. We have to reflect Jesus' proactive and healing grace in the broken places around us. And we have them, don't we? We have the broken places around us. Maybe one of the most famous quotes you've heard from Dr. Martin Luther King, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So the Charlton, uh, Charleston shootings, their hashtag that they put together simply is hate won't win. Because love wins. Hate judges. It sizes people up, writes them off. Sizes people up and walks away. But love forbids us from doing so. Love challenges us. And so as a church, we want to be a church that, that wrestles with this. How do you live this out? In 2015, 2016, how do you begin to break down walls? How do you begin to build up relationships? I don't fully know. Here's what I do know. we got to try. we just got to try. It's the calling of the church. And if we're going to proclaim that we're a gospel people, then, man, we better do it. And we better try to live that out. And it starts with you individually. It starts with me individually and, and who I hang around and how I live and how I interact about doing the best I know how to break down walls of separation and to build up relationships with people. To help them build up into relationship with God and with others. And as a church that we begin to keep modeling that the best we know how. And that we take next steps in it. That we serve people that we love people. And as we do that in the name of Jesus, and we live out being a gospel people, because the gospel is good news for everybody, then I think we begin to see and gain traction in some healing and some reconciliation, because we are people who have been reconciled. And we're now people who are turned around and turned loose to help reconcile other people. So I guess I stand up here. I'm white, if you didn't notice. I don't know fully what this looks like. Here's what I know. I've had a white life. I just have. Because I'm not anything different. And I can't change who I am. But what I know is that I want to be a gospel guy that says God's love doesn't size people up and write them off. It doesn't size people up and walk away. It loves, and it steps forward. And I want us to be a church, and I know Brian does too. We want to be a church that ministers to any and all that God brings here. Because we all matter, and the ground is level at the cross. And so can we figure that out together? I don't know. I didn't have like a, an ending to the sermon to say, okay, everybody go do this. I don't know what it all looks like. Here's what I do know. It's going to look different for each one of us. And so the challenge this week as we move into a time 
of communion. The worship team is going to come back and lead us in a couple songs. And then we'll close and we'll move on with our day. And I don't want you to just kind of file this away and go, eh, it was nice, yeah, I like that movie. I want you to wrestle with it. There's no challenge here that says, here's the thing to go do, other than figure out what it looks like for you to begin to break down walls of separation around you and to begin to build up relationships with the people who are around you. Figure that out. Take active steps in it. Be a gospel guy or a gospel gal who says that the love of Christ is for people. People. And I'm surrounded by people. And so, Father, I just I pray and ask in a special way. Um, I don't know fully how this looks and what the next two, three, four years looks like for us. I just know I want us to be a group of people. that the best we know how puts your gospel on display and the availability and the accessibility of Jesus to any and all who need it. So would you have that start with us individually? We recognize as we take communion here in a minute that Jesus, you came on a mission for each one of us. Red, yellow, black, white, we are all precious in your sight. Some truths have a timeless meaning. So as we take communion, as we sing these songs, as we worship you, would you help us this week to become more and more a people that figure out the next steps for us individually, for us corporately together? What does it look like to be a church that represents Jesus well and that shares your love with any and all Because we're all broken. We've all wandered. We've all strayed away. There is no one who is righteous. No, not one. We all are in need of a Savior who's colorblind, who loves people. Would you help us to take steps in that? And so as we remember Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection through the taking of communion, we remember the graces for us. We receive that. Would you help us to be a people that have been reconciled and now turn to reconcile others to you and to others around them? And would you meet us in these songs, Holy Spirit? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.